Welcome back to another episode of A Gift from Adversity. My name is Julie Love. I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in again. Today we are recording episode 69. And before I introduce our wonderful guest, I want to introduce my book, which is the same title as this podcast, A Gift from Adversity. The subtitle is Overcoming Sex, Sexual Abuse, Domestic Violence, Bullying, and Homelessness. And this is available on Amazon. A Gift from Adversity was published in 2020, but prior to that, I had wonderful opportunities to tell my story to a lot of audience. And a lot of times they said, do you have any book? And I said, no. So I decided to publish a book. And thanks to my friends and supporters and my publisher, BookLogics. After I published my book, I got a lot of people reaching out to me and telling me they are also survivor of child sex abuse, bullying, or domestic violence. And I had cases that people reached out to me during the um, middle of the storm of the domestic violence, etc. After a while, I decided to start a podcast this year, 2022, because I felt compelled to tell not only my story, but other people's story, especially in regards to adversity, but also tools that people used to overcome and a gift that came from it. And it has been just an amazing journey doing this podcast. And I'm so incredibly grateful for all the bravery stories and guests who are willing to share their adversity. So let's invite our guest for today. Hi, Adrian. How are you doing? Hi, Jerry. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, Adrian, let's start with your name, who you are, where you're coming in, and what you do, and if you have a website or social media that you want to share with our audience. Yeah, absolutely. I'm coming from Northern California in a place called Marin County, which is right over the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. Um, I have a couple of properties that I think might be interesting to your your get your listeners. I have a website called adrianjones.me. And I have a podcast called Profound Awesomeness uh, as well that I would maybe might be of value to some of your listeners as well. Um, I've been working in finance for most of my career and I've been living in California for just about the same amount of time. So that's a little bit about me, Jerry. Wonderful. So adrianjones.me is your website. That is right. That is correct. So any of our listeners, you can visit adrianjones.me to find more about Adrian. So thank you again for the introduction. And let's dive into our first question, which is the adversity. So what was your adversity? Yeah. So my adversity is maybe a little different than some other adversities that you have on your show. Back in um, October 2016, I went mountain biking out here near where I live with three friends of mine. And it was a regular mountain bike journey that we typically take, a route that we've done many, many times before. And we were going up a steep incline, um, riding two by two, two in front, two in the back. 
And all of a sudden, the strength in my legs suddenly vanished. Like in a snap of a finger, I had no strength in my legs climbing up this very steep ascent that I'd done a number of times before. I had to stop, gather myself, take a deep breath, drink some water. I got back on my bike and continued to climb to catch up with my friends who were waiting for me at a, at a natural landing spot. When you mountain bike, when you get separated, you always wait at the trail junction. And so they were waiting for, for me at a trail junction. And as soon as I summited where they were waiting for me, the world jury started to spin in the most terrifying and frightening way. It was like I was a, in a kaleidoscope in a merry-go-round riding on a roller coaster. It was all I could do to get off my mountain bike. I clicked out of my pedals, the bike crashed onto the ground and I started to vomit and got very sick and started to vomit everything out of my body. And while this was happening, I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, maybe I'm just become a fat old man and I'm just way out of shape. And I also was thinking that, God, you know, the night before I had sushi with my daughter and maybe that I was having a bad reaction to sushi, like sashimi with a side of bacteria. <laughs> and so those are the two things that were going on in my mind as I was being sick and my friends were looking at me very incredulously. And I stood up and I said, okay, guys, I feel better. I'm, I'm not going to hold up this ride because I'm out of shape. Let's keep riding. And thankfully they said, Adrian, no one's a hero. We should go down. This is a, you have an abnormal behavior right now. And I said, no, 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 I feel good. I don't want to hold up the ride. Let's keep going. So we negotiated a settlement, if you will, where we decided to go down, but we went down a different way that we had just come up so we could get a longer ride in. And as we were riding along, I proceeded to get this incredible pain in my chest and it wouldn't go away. So I clicked off out of my bike. I put the bike down on the fire trail and I laid spread eagle on the dirt across the fire trail. And I lay there beating my chest, kind of like King Kong, if you will, just left, right, left, right, thinking I had some acid reflux or heartburn associated with bad sushi from the night before. But the pain never went away. So I got back on my bike. Once again, I had to ride to catch up with my friends. And at this point, I was so weak, I couldn't ride my bike anymore. And we still had to go down the, the mountain. So we agreed that a friend of mine would race down to get his car to meet us at the bottom of the trail. And the rest of us, the three of us walked down and it took 40 minutes for us to walk down the rest of the trail. Um, and towards the end of the trail, before I saw my friend with his car, these four fingers, my ring and pinky finger, both hands went completely and totally numb. And at this point, I'm still thinking, gosh, I, I must have food poisoning. Something's really wrong with me. So the friend who had his car waiting for me at the uh, at the base of the trail, he um, threw me in his car and he took me to the local hospital. And he was driving with his hands on the wheel, like 10 and 2, like as if someone was trying to steal the steering wheel out of his hands. And we drove literally right by my house on the way to the hospital. And I told, I asked him, I said, please take me home. I will take some acid reflux or um, Alka-Seltzer or Pepto-Bismol to get my acid reflux down and I'll be just fine. And he said, no, 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 no. You need help right away. And I pleaded for him to take me home. I said, my kids are home alone. I have all my documents, my wallets at home. I don't have anything on me. I can't go to the hospital. And he kept driving. He drove right by my house and took me to the local hospital, Marin General Hospital where I walked into the emergency, the triage nurse, 
And she asked me what I was in for the hospital for. And I said, my name is Adrian Jones. I'm 46 years old. I'm having trouble breathing and my chest really hurts. In a few seconds, I can't believe how fast they worked. There was a nurse with a hospital gurney right next to me. And they asked me to lay down on it. And they took me into the the emergency room of the um, of the hospital. And two technicians, the first stop I made was into the EKG room where they measure the rhythms of your heart. And they put the leads on my chest. And I kept telling the technicians, I, I think I have acid reflux. I don't know why you're testing my heart. And they wanted nothing to do with me. They didn't talk to me. They didn't answer my questions. They were very serious about their business. After a moment, they ripped the leads off my chest and ran down the halls of the emergency room, deep, deep, deep into the bowels of the ER. And I had they pushed me into these blue curtains and swung the blue curtains around me where nurses descended upon me like crazy and started to put needles in my veins and oxygen measuring meters on my fingertips. A nurse came running in and put a defibrillator on my chest. And right behind her was a doctor who walked in the hospital or walked in where I was laying and said, Mr. Jones, I'm the cardiologist on staff today. I'm here to tell you you're having a heart attack. I have to tell you, it was like looking at my mortality in the mirror when he said that. It was both terrifying and relieving at the same time. By that, I mean hearing that you're having a heart attack is a very, very scary thing to hear. But I was so relieved that I was in the hospital in the care of nurses and doctors that I wasn't still out on the on the mountain bike trail all by myself or with my friends having these this particular issue. They um, asked me to sign a couple of waivers for open heart surgery and a stent operation procedure. And then they ran with me down to the cath lab where they do heart surgery. And I had three very clear thoughts, Jerry, as they ran with me down to the operating room. One was, my wife was out of town when this happened. She was in Colorado on a work event. And I vowed, I'm not going to die today. I don't want my wife, Liz, to fly home a widow. I want to have a, if I'm going to check out of here, I want to have a proper goodbye. Um, the next thought I had was, why did I run out of the house to go mountain biking and not tell my kids I love them? I vowed in that moment that the next time I leave the house or they leave the house, they're going to hear from me that I love them because that should be, if ever the last things they hear from me, I hope those are the three words they really remember. And then the third thought was very stealing and fortifying. And it, it, I told myself, it is not going to happen today. I will walk out of this hospital of my own two feet, of my own volition. I am not going to let this happen today. And just as I had that thought, the, they crashed into the catheter lab with the gurney, put me on the operating table, and proceeded to do a stent operation for about 35, 40 minutes, where they went in through my right wrist and went into my heart, where my widowmaker or my left anterior descending artery was 100% blocked, 100% blocked by a plaque rupture. I'm very lucky to be here. So they were able to use angioplasty to open up that artery, and then they put in a stent through my wrist, um, through my wrist here. And as soon as that stent went in, it was all I, I could breathe. 
I had no pain in my chest. It was the most beautiful breath of air of oxygen I've ever breathed in. <laughs> I was so happy. I'd made it. I had absolutely made it. So, you know, my trauma might look a little different than some of your other guests that come on your show, Jury, but you know, that was that was my traumas is living through and surviving a, a very serious heart attack situation. Wow. I'm speechless. <laughs> and then I am really stunned by how much of the details that you remember. Clearly. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I do remember them clearly as if it was yesterday. And this is back in 2016. It's almost six year, uh, almost about to celebrate my six year survivorversary, as I like to call it. Uh, but I remember that day and those moments crystal clear as if they happened just yesterday. Why, I don't know, but they definitely, the, the thoughts and the memories are very rich and powerful within me. Did you find out why you had a heart attack? Well, so there's a two-part answer to that. And one part I think we'll get to later in our conversation, but the immediate answer is that um, I had a plaque rupture. So I had arterial plaque that burst as I was climbing up this, this, this strenuous uh, part of the, the mountain bike ride. And the plaque, the plaque that was flowing around in my artery now that had just come off my arteries collected in the left anterior descending artery or the what it's commonly known as the Widowmaker for very good reason. Um, and it collected there and caused the, the artery to become blocked. Wow. And then when you are growing up, did you have this, like any heart condition, like some breathing problems? No, I mean, um, I'd like to think I was a very healthy individual. I, I, I will tell you that I was diagnosed in my 30s with elevated cholesterol, but I was taking a statin and I was very aware of what I was eating because at a young age, the doctors had discovered that I had elevated cholesterol. So I was very aware of what I was eating and the, the, the beef intake that I was eating. I was very cognizant and I was trying to be very careful around what I was eating. So, um, but no, I didn't as a child or, or growing up or as a young adult or an older adult, <laughs> uh, didn't have any um, diagnoses that I had any issues or didn't have any s sensations that there was anything going on within my chest. This was a big surprise to me when it happened. So Adrian, just to go back to when you were at the ER, did you did they put you in general anesthesia or, or were you awake? Really good question. I was definitely under some form of anesthesia, but I remember but I was I was borderline awake. I remember them when they were working on me, they were moving in raising and lowering my right shoulder and moving my head around. And I remember that. So I wasn't totally knocked out, but I was out of it. Um, I think I was partly out of it because I was in the middle of a very serious heart attack, but then I was partly out of it because of the drugs that they had given me. But I do remember them moving my, my shoulder around trying to, what I presume they were doing was trying to move that the scope up my arm and into my heart so they could do the procedure. So did you have an open heart surgery? No, 
No, thank goodness. They they did it all through right a little slice right here on my wrist. You can wow. barely see a little scar there now. Yeah. It's remarkable what technology can do these days. <laughs> that is so crazy. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. And how long were you in the hospital after that? Yeah, I was there for two nights and three days. Um that's it? I, that's it. I'm very lucky is I, I was able to, you know, speed is everything when you have a heart attack or a stroke, um, because as the blood does, as it relates to heart attacks, as the blood does not get to your heart, the heart muscle begins to die and it doesn't regenerate or grow back. And I was very, very fortunate that we got to the hospital when we did, because I was able to achieve a full, a full recovery of my heart, which is fantastic. And I'm very blessed that that happened. And part of the reason why I think that happened is that I was in pretty good shape and that I worked out a lot and did yoga um, prior to all this happening. So I think being in good condition is being good in good health is always very paramount and important to being able to survive these sorts of incidences or gives you a better chance, I would say. Wow. So you had no idea you were having heart attack. You thought it was a sushi I did. I swear I did. I thought it was sushi from the night before. I thought it was two things. One, I've, I'm out of shape <laughs> and I've got to fix that. But the but the big thought, the prevailing thought was I had bad sushi the night before. And I've never had bad sushi before or since, but that was my conclusion. And it wasn't until that doctor walked in. Actually, it wasn't until the nurse came in and put the defibrillators on my chest did I think it was something other than food poisoning of, of some capacity. Once the defibrillators hit my chest and the doctor came in and said, Mr. Jones, you're having a heart attack. Well, then that's a whole different story. And then it was, things got very different for me, very real, very quickly. And I can't believe doctor came to that you sign the waivers. Yeah. And that was really interesting too, because I was so weak when they brought the waivers in, like, <clears throat> They literally, I, I couldn't hold the pen. So I put a, they put a pen in my hand and just, they needed to document and witness that I acknowledged the, the uh, waivers. So I didn't sign my name. I just held my pens as, as well as I could. And they took the document and just swiped it. And it left a pen swipe on the document. And that counted as my signature, my acknowledgement for open heart surgery or for a stent procedure. Isn't that crazy? Jeez, that's crazy. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. But I couldn't have signed. If they asked me to sign it, I was too weak to, to, to even just do, do my signature. I was way too weak. It's very, very interesting that, you know, they even nearly death situation that they have to get your signature. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So... Thank you so much, first of all, for coming to the show. And thank you so much for sharing this story. And then um, I think it's very important for everybody to hear that this can happen to anybody at any moment. But the knowledge can definitely help these kind of situations that, you know, you, in the, for the fact, survived. And then, you know, sharing this crazy life or death experience you know i'm not like hoping anybody to go through that but then 
you know, some of these stories can make a difference in the moment decisions. Like say, for instance, you know, your friend who drove you to the hospital and not, you know, that you stop at your house, he made the right decision. Absolutely. I I replay it in my mind. And if the roles were reversed, I would have been very proud to have taken my friend home if he asked me to take him home. And I would have thought I was a really good friend. I luckily, 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 I had an angel looking out for me that day because the friend who drove me to the airport or the airport, what am I saying? (laughs) The hospital, (laughs) Uh, the friend who drove me to the hospital, he had done EMT training before. And so he recognized the signs of of a heart attack. He didn't want to tell me that he recognized it because he didn't want to scare me. But after the fact, he told me that, yeah, I saw you become pale. You were sweaty. You just looked very different. And it's you're talking about chest pain and being sick. These are symptoms of, of, of a heart attack. And so he wanted to get me to the hospital right away. And to your point, Jury, I'm very open about my heart attack story. I, 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 I tell it everywhere. I, I, keynote speak about it. I've done podcasts about it. The reason being is because I want to drive preventative awareness and action. So people are aware that, gosh, here was this person who seemingly looked very healthy, worked out a lot, went to yoga, was on top of what he was eating, still had something happen to me. And so for people who are out there, if whether you experience these symptoms or you're with a friend or loved one who's going through something that is experiencing these symptoms, maybe you'll have a better sense that, oh my gosh, this might be a heart attack situation. We need to get this person or get myself to the emergency room right away. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story. So I just want to share my story with you and then our audience as well. I had one significant nearly death situation when I had second miscarriage at home. And I had similar argument with my ambulance operator, like EMT, I wanna go to my OBGYN in Newton, but he, they said, well, your blood pressure is 60, you're pretty much dying soon. So we need to get you to the nearest hospital. So I basically lost more than 50, 50% of blood and then like what you say like swelling like you know my ears start to like really go and then like everything started to um rotate um and then i lost consciousness and then luckily wow my ex and then um his brother called ambulance and then when the emt got there yeah my blood pressure was 60 and then my eyes were i think completely open i don't remember but then when i got to the hospital Basically, what they said was my suck was stuck horizontally and it kept bleeding. So the OBGYN doctor used the instrument to pull my pregnancy leftover thing. And then more blood came out. And interestingly, like you said, the doctor in that life or death situation came to me and then said, well, there's one in a million chances or whatever that you might get. Well, you have to do blood transfusion because you lost more than 50% of blood and you're going to die. You're going to, um, your kidney and heart and then brain. Um, well, everything is going to shut off in like a few hours. If you don't do blood transfusion, and he was like saying like, uh, like, okay, do you want to go get a breakfast or something? <laughs> he was like, <laughs> saying, 
like so like normal. And then he's like, oh, so by the way, you might have a chance to get a hepatitis or HIV. Um, so you need to think about it. I'll come back. So I, I oh called my goodness. Mom. I called my mom, and then I said, "Mom, I, I don't know." And then he's like, "Um, you became a citizen of America. Now they're gonna do blood transfusion with American people's blood. Then you're gonna be more Americanized." <laughs> and he's like, oh, "Make sure you thank people." Samakoka thanks, I'm dying. So, <laughs> but anyways, I remember that like doctor has to make sure I'm aware of the risk and stuff. And then and I ended up doing like three pints of blood transfusion for 12 hours after that. And then I was safe. But I clearly remember that I was still like negotiating with the EM person. Like, can you take me to my, and I'm like, no. And I'm so grateful. So now if I see a blood drive truck and then people lining up to donate their blood, I make sure that I go up to them and thank them for saving my life. Because mm. with that, you can't contact the uh, blood donor directly to thank them. So I, I, I would never know who donated the blood for me. And you know, I make sure, like you know, when I when I ever see the blood drive, and then I can't donate my blood because they said you have to be 110 pounds, and I'm like 10 pounds off from that, <laughs> so I can't <laughs> donate my blood for other people. Yeah. But I'll make sure I thank them. So it's very interesting that when you said, oh, like you know, you are not like really aware that you're actually like close to death, and when you are like having this conscious thought of like, okay. I want to go to that. I want to go to that. And like, no, you are basically dying. You can't do that. You have to go to the hospital. And That's I'm, right. I'm so grateful for this. You know, my case is obviously the hospital and then, you know, blood donors that generously donated their you know, blood because nowadays like technology is out there, but you still cannot make blood. So, you know, human kindness has to be there. So I'm really grateful for that technology and then also the generosity of people. And I, you know, I, I think um, your story is very powerful because there are so many points that you could have missed and then the outcome would be different. And I'm so happy that you were at the uh, right hands and then uh, being able to survive through the heart attack. Yeah, Jerry, thank you for sharing your story. It's a, that's amazing. Uh, you know, I'm very lucky. My friend, who's an angel to me, uh, took me to the hospital and didn't take me home because if I went home, odds are really, really good. I would have died in front of my children, which is just horrifying to think about. So I'm so glad I got to the hospital and they, they moved as quickly as they did to give me care. And that I was able to achieve a full recovery, which is just wonderful. It's given me a whole new lease on life, as you might imagine. What did your wife say when you start when you were able to speak with her? Well, well, what I what I haven't mentioned is that I was having a very hard time breathing. Like I was I was wheezing, like like deeply wheezing and and unable to take deep breaths. It felt like you know, they say with a heart attack, it feels like an elephant is sitting on your chest. And that's true. I can tell you that's true. I, I, I say it felt like there were a million needles inside my chest cavity. And every time I took a little bit of breath, my lungs would press against all those millions of needles. It hurt so much to breathe. 
Um, so when I when we were on the way to the hospital, I called her and I'm wheezing and wheezing and barely could formulate a sentence. And, you know, she just said, hang up the phone. I'll talk to you. Our, the friend who drove me to the hospital's name is Brad. She said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll call Brad and get the details. Hang up. Just keep breathing. Stay focused. Stay focused. And that's that's the first time I talked to her as this was happening. And then she had to scramble to get on a plane to fly back from Colorado to meet me in the hospital. And, you know, it was really interesting, Jerry, when when we got to when she got to the hospital and, and the, fortunately, the nurses were very nice. They let her visit after visiting hours because that's when her plane got in. And we just lay there in silence and she kind of curled up next to me on the on the hospital bed, which, you know, is not a very comfortable bed to be on to begin with. <laughs> And we both were there. We just laid there in silence. And in, in a way, silence said everything between us. Uh, it was very powerful. Was, what, what could be said? We were together. We were alive. And we survived a very scary incident, uh, this cardiac event. And so just laying there was so peaceful and, and calming for both of us. It was really interesting. Wow. And how about your children? How old were they? They were about 13 and 11, thereabouts, 14 and 12, 13 and 11, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I had left them. I ran out of the house. I had organized the, the mountain bike ride, and I was running late to the meeting point. So I, I ran out of the house, and my kids are on their phones, like just doing I, – I, I used to call them my screenagers. Um, and so I just, as I ran out the door, I just hollered over my shoulder, you know, I'll be back for lunch and just, I'll be back in about two hours. Um, and on the way to the hospital, I must say, I also called when we drove by my house, I called my daughter and she, luckily she answered the phone and I told her I wouldn't be home for a while. I had to go to the chest doctor. I didn't want her to worry that I was going to the emergency room. I just told her I had to go to the chest doctor because my chest was hurting a little bit. And I think for them, the, the the sad thing was my son had a classmate the same weekend. <clears throat> that classmate was with his father. Uh, his parents were, were divorced or are divorced. And this his, my son's classmate was with his dad. The same weekend I'm in the hospital surviving my heart attack, his dad dies of a heart attack. And it was a very, it brought a lot to attention and focus to me. And I felt so unbelievably blessed to survive. But I also wondered, gosh, why me? Why was I the lucky one to survive? And I felt so sorry for this poor child. Um, anyways, I'm not sure where I'm going with that jury, but it was just a sort of an, it, an interesting perspective of life that, that happened for me that weekend because of that. That is unbelievable. What did your daughter say? Oh, when I called her? Yeah. Oh, she said, okay, daddy, I love you. Wow. And then how, what did they say after they found out that you actually had a heart attack? I think for them, it was very hard to process. Uh, they came to the hospital the next, the next day. And I think they were in shock to see me with all these wires in my body and these leads on my chest and hooked up to all these monitors behind me on the, in the hospital. They didn't, they didn't have anything prophetic to say, but they just were happy. I was, I was there and that I was feeling okay. And that's sort of where they're, where they were at the time at that age. Wow. 
did they say anything to you? Do you remember? Nothing that jumps out at me. I mean, nothing, like I say, nothing prophetic or profound, um, but just hi, dad, we're, are you okay? Kind of what they asked. And that was, that's about all I could have hoped for, to be honest with you at the time. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing this story. Of and course. Powerful. And then, you know, and also I really appreciate you answering my questions and bringing back to the moment. Did you have any PTSD after that? Say, for instance, if you go back again for mountain bike riding, like, do you get like any scary thoughts and you have to go through that too? Yeah, I'd be lying if I said, so I'm, I'm back on my mountain bike. I do ride it. Uh, I would be lying if I said, I don't think about my heart attack when I'm out on my mountain bike. Cause I do every single time. Uh, absolutely. Does it scare me? No. Cause I know I survived and I know I'm healthy. Uh, but it definitely, it's there on my mind. No question whatsoever. Um, I've also found for some reason that I'm a little jumpier. I don't know. I picked up a some sort of thing where if something falls near me, near me, I get a little jumpy and I don't know why that is. I was never like that before. And I think it has something to do with my heart attack and I haven't figured out what it is yet. Um, but my kids laugh at me because I, I jump at things now. I get startled much easier than I used to. And I have no idea if it has anything to do, any correlation to my heart attack, but I think it does because I was never like it before. <laughs> Did doctors say anything about that? No, I haven't asked. I haven't asked. Yeah. I think it might have to do something with it because um, when you have such a trauma in your body, something like maybe neuropaths or some system gets significantly shocked or wires differently i'm not a doctor 100 percent. i'm not sure but my instinct is telling me if it's not it would if it didn't happen beforehand like what what else and i think the sensitivities and then you know the trauma that whole the trauma that you think it's okay you think it survived but the subconscious remembers the fear and the scare and yeah. i think you know little tiny things like that as a father or man and a head of household, I think you have this pressure of, you know, being strong man and then, you know, figure um, role model. And I think, you know, part of it as a human being, it's just like we are all same, you know, brain structure, whether you're men or women and then or whatever the role you are. And I think the core of it is when you go through a certain trauma, I think we all react differently or maybe the same and i that's kind of like what i think but i'm not sure oh, i think that's very valid i think you make a really good point and um i don't think there's anything wrong with what you're saying so yeah it could it could very well be what happened to me and then how is your anxiety level um i know we talked about the mountain bike but regular life um day to day life um do you kind of have to deal with anxiety after the heart attack? Yeah, well, I would I would frame it a little differently in terms of I would say managing stress uh, is really important for me now. And so um, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but uh, 
you know, I, I made some career changes because I wanted to manage down my stress and have more time to work out and exercise and be with my family. Got it. So let's dive into the second question, which are, uh, which is the tools that you use to overcome or maybe deal with in your situation. So Adrian, I love this part of the podcast because every guest who came to my show has completely different ideas and tools that they shared with me. And then I think your story is very powerful and especially like six years ago or so after surviving it, then like, what do you think the best tools that you are applying that's working for you? Yeah. So when you go through a heart attack or have some sort of cardiac event, uh, what they do is they put you into what's known as cardiac rehab. So cardiac rehab is a very regimented three-month uh, program where you go three days a week into a, a, a controlled workout facility where they have various exercise equipments and um, aerobic equipments that you can use. And they, they put leads on your chest to monitor your heart rate. They test your blood pressure throughout the hour that you're there. And it was a wonderful experience for me because the whole, the whole point of it is to get you back to where you were and to, 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 to knock this fear out of your body. It's both good physically and psychologically. So for example, when I first started going to cardiac rehab right after my, my heart attack, I would just walk on the treadmill very gingerly for an hour, just a very casual walk on the treadmill. Fast forward till three months later, I'm running on the treadmill, I'm sweating, I'm getting on the exercise bike, I'm pedaling like crazy, I'm sweating. And psychologically, so I became physically stronger over that three month period, but psychologically, I was able to learn that I could achieve this level of aerobic workout and, and stress on the heart and be okay. And that was, it's a really powerful, and I encourage anyone who has had a, a recent cardiac event, if they've not done cardiac rehab to look into it. Uh, I thought it was one of the best things that ever happened to me. So to answer your question, I would say that it's twofold. So one is I took the learnings from the cardiac rehab to work out three days a week, make sure it's about an hour long each workout, whether it's just a walk or you know, walk the dog or walk around the block or you get on your mountain bike or you go do yoga. You got muted, Adrian. Maybe there's some buttons. I can't hear you. Oh, no, I think. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, yes. I apologize to you and your guests. I don't know what happened. It's... No problem. Oh, it happened again. Oh, hopefully this, no. it's, that's terribly disruptive. I'm sorry. I don't know why that's happening. Don't worry. I can hear you now. So you were saying about the tools. The tools. Yes. Yeah. So it's, they're twofold. Part one is I, I, as I was saying earlier that I follow the, the 
kind of the guidance I got from cardiac rehab, working out three days a week, an hour each, each time. Sometimes I go for a walk. Other times I go hike the hills. Other times I get on my mountain bike. It just, I like to vary it. The other tool that I like to use is I like to take timeouts. I, before my heart attack was go, 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 go. I was in corporate America, uh, commuting three hours a day to get to and from work. Um, never really taking a time out for myself to slow down and just pause. And over the last six years, I've really taught myself to take time off, to just sit down and so to speak, smell the flowers. Um, just relax, do some deep breathing exercises to just, I don't meditate. I'm going to explore meditation, but the whole purpose is to slow down and relax and just let life doesn't have to be happening so quickly. Let, let, let some peace come over me and just take some time for myself to invest in myself and my calmness is another tool that I use pretty frequently. And you kind of mentioned earlier that you had a career change after the heart attack. I did. I did. I was, like I said, I was working in corporate America and, and commuting three hours a day. And once I had the heart attack and some other events took place, I just realized that I didn't want to work in, in corporate America at that time. I needed to take a time out <laughs> and I wanted to not commute three hours a day. I wanted to commute 10 minutes a day if I could figure out a job that would allow me to do that. So could I, I could have more time in my day to work out, as I talked about my tools, I like to work out, but also have much more time with my family. You know, my kids were teenagers and the the prospect of them moving out of the house was not too far off, you know, going to college and so forth. So I wanted to have time with them because I felt like I had spent so much of my life leaving before anybody got up, leaving for work before anybody got up in the morning and barely making it home for dinner. And I missed so much and I wanted to just capture that time that I had left with them for me to be there, to be there for everything. Even if we just sat around the house talking to be able to spend time with them. Wow. And how is that going? Well, it went really well until they both went to college. <laughs> so hopefully they enjoyed it as much as I did. You know, I don't know. They're teenagers, so I don't know, but, um, it, it it was good. It was good for me and hopefully for our family, for me to be around more. Wow. So this heart attack that you experienced six years ago really completely changed for you to have more time for yourself or for your family rather than just working, working, working in corporate America. And I think I what, what I really like about your exercises and not only physical exercise but mental um strengths that you have to regain after the heart attack i think it's very important lesson because i just had a surgery in july and i was not allowed to do um high impact sports but before that i was doing karate like spartan race I was training and I got really scared afterwards. So I have to like push myself that I'm going to be okay. Doctor said I'm okay. So I really have to push myself. But like, you know, it's just a mental thing, right? And then sometimes, I don't know, can I push more? And you're not sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I was able to push. You, I learned how to push more and had the, as, as I said earlier, had that psychological 
uh, muscle got rebuilt as well, which was really important. Very important. It is such a trauma to have a heart attack and nearly death experience and then, you know, be able to get to mountain bike again and run again. And that's such a courage that people don't realize that you need a mental strength and a believing in you. And it, was there any doctors or PT, like, no, maybe somebody who really encouraged you or be a support for that process? Oh, yes, they have They have a whole, well, at least where I went, they had a nurse team that they were very supportive, very supportive. And I'll, and I'll say, Jerry, that I had so much confidence, and this might seem really silly to, to, to some people, but it meant a lot to me at the time, that I was able to, shortly after I recovered and went through the cardiac rehab, I took an international flight. I flew to Europe to go visit with some friends and family. To be in an airplane that long is kind of a feat because you, as a heart attack survivor, you get nervous. Well, what if it happens again? Who's going to take care of me? Is there a doctor on the plane? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I was able to um, take the airplane and I didn't think twice about, was there a doctor on the plane? Would I have a heart issue or anything like that? And shortly after that, after my event too, I also went scuba diving. Because um, I enjoy scuba diving and going underwater is a little terrifying too. Like what happens if I'm 30, 60 feet underwater and I have a cardiac event, a second event? What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of the water? What's going to happen then? But of course, knock on wood, unfortunately, nothing happened to me. And I, I was able to do that dive. And these sorts of things help boost my confidence and my psychological uh, abilities, so to speak be able to keep taking these challenges to live my full life and to not live in fear uh, and in, in some form of restraint from who I really need to be and who I want to be. Wow. So thank you so much for sharing these tools and your story. And let's move on to the last question, which is a gift that came from this adversity. So what is the gift that came from this adversity? Well, I'd like to say I have two very big gifts that came from this adversity. The first is what I like to call survivor superpowers. These are powers that a survivor gets that allows us to live in greater in intent, purpose, and meaning, be more present in the moment, to listen more closely to people when you're talking with them. These are, these are skills I thought I had, and I thought I was living in the moment. I thought I was living with meaning and purpose and intent. I wasn't nearly where I was where I am today. And I am in some ways very grateful that I had my heart attack so that I could learn what it's like to really understand what purpose is in my life, to really understand what meaning and intent is in my life. So that was a, a, a big gift that came out of this. The other big gift, however, is, is something unexpected. <laughs> so when I was in the hospital, just after I had surgery for my heart, they wheeled me in from the, the cath lab into the ICU, the cardiac recovery wing. And when the nurses hooked me up to the machines and made sure that I was stable and they could leave me alone, the last nurse walked out of the hospital room and, and swung the, the curtain across the door. 
And I had a voice speak to me in my right ear, very powerful and very true, that said, find your birth parents. You see, I'm adopted. And so I didn't know genetically what was in me. And, and this was the first time in my life that I knew in a very crystal clear way that I needed to strike out and find my biological family, not only to find out health records to see if heart disease runs in the family, but once and for all to find out if I have siblings, did, was my family looking for me? Did they want to know how I turned out? Were they uh, wondering who I turned out to be? Was I okay? So I had all these questions. This all started happening so quickly in the hospital room. And I determined that I would go out and strike out and find my biological family. And there's a whole story that's associated with that, which is crazy. But I can tell you that I found my biological family. I found my birth mother and my birth father. And I have three half sisters, two paternal, one maternal. They all live in the area here in Northern California, about 45 minutes drive from my house. And the reunion could not be better. I could not be more blessed as an adoptee who went to find out his biological family. And so that is an amazing gift that has been given to me. There's more people in my life for me to love and for more people in my life to love me and my family and my children. It's been just this remarkable gift that just exploded in my life that I never saw coming. I never thought I'd go find my biological family till I had my heart attack. And that heart attack led me down this path to find my biological family and to find my biological truth and my genetic past. And what I did learn is that heart disease does run in the maternal side of my family. It's a serial killer. It takes out just about everybody. So that's helpful information to know now. And my kids know it and they're on you know, I'm, I'm working and coaching them in terms of how to, how to live and how to eat and stuff like that. Um, but that's been a massive, unbelievable gift to me. And I'm just so fortunate that it happened in this way. And so again, you know, people have asked me, are, are you happy that the heart attack happened to you? And I say in many ways, yes, I don't wish a heart attack on anyone. It's a very serious thing and I'm lucky to be here, but to be able to have survivor superpowers coupled with this entirely new family in my life, where now I, I finally understand who I am, how I came to be, my ethnicity, my biological truth. I feel like a full, complete person now in a way that I've never felt before. So it's been a massive gift to me in many, many, many ways. It is incredible. And thank you so much for sharing that. It feels like I just watched a whole entire movie. <laughs> and it could be a film itself. It's just so crazy. And explain a little bit about survivor superpower. I've never heard of it. <laughs> well, it's 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 a, t a term I made up. So I guess it has I guess I need to do hashtag survivor superpower on on social media and get some traction with it. But um yeah, like I said, it's just being a dad, being a parent, being you know um, a, a husband, being a friend, being a son. You know, I really I tried through my twenties and my thirties to to live in the moment, especially when I had kids, to really be present with my children, to really be present with my wife. Um, 
having kids, I thought that that was my, my, my purpose. And it just absolutely, it's still my purpose raising and, and being with these children of mine. But as I had the, after the heart attack, what just opened up like this, like uncontrollable, like this whole new window in me opened to be, to be receptive to inputs around meaning inputs around impact inputs around intent inputs around purpose that would fulfill me so much more. Whereas before I, I just, it's hard to describe jury that like I, I was pretty sure I was living in the moment, but no, not compared to where I am now as a result of my heart attack. And I tell you, I mean, I, I, I hold on hard to that. My survivor superpowers, I don't want them to go away with time. You know, is time we forget things and things change and we go back to the norms and stuff like that. But I'm holding on to them very, very dearly because they've changed who I am and how I live my life so much. And it's given me such purpose in my life to be able to help and inspire other people. In addition to being a good father and a husband and a friend and a son and brother and all those other roles in my life. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Sometimes, like even today, my friend asked me, so why are you so motivated? Like, what is your motivation? Because I do so much in a day. I do like so many things in my day or so many things in my life. I've done probably some of the coolest thing in my life. But I got to where I am because of maybe survivor superpower that I had, not only surviving through the child sex abuse and domestic violence, all that stuff when I was little, but also, you know, the story that I told you about my miscarriage. And then, you know, even like the surgery, I had maybe nine surgeries in my life. And it just like, um, every time you go through physical or mental challenges it gives you that survivor superpower and i never knew that terminology until today but it's very true i am pretty aware of tomorrow might not come and next moment might not come and i'm aware of the intention and i'm aware of who i hung out with who i talked to and how I spend my time that is equally given the 24 hours without discrimination. How do I use that 24 hours? Yes. Yes. With, yeah. yeah. I feel I, I could connect with you on that. I didn't have the heart attack, but I could relate to the survivor superpower portion of it. And I'm not gonna lie, listening to your story is very powerful. Not only that you survived, but maybe because the intention you have of speaking with me and sharing your story with our audience through this podcast, which had been my manifestation and vision. And I'm just so grateful that we are having this genuine, authentic conversation about life and then how we live and how we treat ourselves and others in these perspectives that we learn throughout our life, but especially the significant 
traumatic adversity that we go through. So I can't thank you enough for sharing your story today. Well, it's been a gift to be able to share it with your audience. And thank you so much for inviting me on the show. And I'll, I'll say one thing, um, you know, I, I told you the story about my, when I had my heart attack, my, my son's friend's dad had a heart attack and was not so lucky to survive. And I used to lay in bed after going through cardiac rehab during that time period and wonder why me, why did I survive? I mean, heart disease is the number one killer in the United States. And I'm one of the lucky ones. Why did I survive? And I would wrestle with that often and just stare at the ceiling from my bed and just have deep thoughts. And what I realized is that I'm here to help and inspire others. Like I was given the second chance to help and inspire others, whether that's through, you know, talking about heart disease and survivorship, whether that's through talking about DNA truth or getting a DNA surprise in your life. And, and navigating through those things and working with adoptees who are interested in finding their biological past. Um, and so it's been so fulfilling and rewarding to be in a place to be able to do that. And if we could help, you know, just one person, you know, hopefully many, many more, but if just one person, if we could help one person in some capacity, what a win that is. And so it's, again, it's a, a I just want to, th- I say all that as a way to say thank you for having me on this show to allow me to share my story in the hopes that your listeners will get something from this and hopefully will be helped and inspired in some meaning and fashion. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, um, Adrian. And then again, everybody, if you want to find more, visit adrianjones.me. And again, I'm really grateful for having this podcast today. And thank you for listening to A Gift from Adversity. And I have more guests coming in October, and I'm looking forward to more conversation. So thank you so much again. Thank you, Jerry. It was really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.